0: Entering the Freedom
1: Hut. Hunter Biden under investigation for money laundering. The state of Texas sues over election fraud allegations. Did Swalwell become a Chinese influence agent? And a new study on indoor COVID spread, not good.
0: Buck Sexton. Mission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One
1: all Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great America.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show.
2: Former CIA
1: analyst. Former
0: member of the NYPD.
3: I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It
0: is Buck Sexton. Now.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, here we are. What has it been? About a month and change since the election. We'll call it about six weeks, something like that. Five weeks since the election. And we find out. That's something that came up in the days before the election that we were not allowed to say that was being intentionally suppressed by social media was, in fact, true. Hunter Biden is officially, by his own admission, under investigation by federal prosecutors who are looking at his foreign ties and possible money laundering. And where do we think some of those foreign ties may be? China. China. That's right. Starting to see the Democrat Party was doing a whole smokescreen operation for four years. Yes, they were attacking Trump on Russia, but their Russia fixation seemed to also serve the very useful additional purpose of preventing people from paying more attention to very high level Democrat connections to our true national security threat, our true economic challenger the People's Republic of China. And here is Politico with the piece. The federal investigation into president elect Hunter uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, has been more extensive than a statement from Hunter Biden indicates, according to a person with firsthand knowledge of the investigation. On Wednesday, Hunter Biden said he had been contacted about a tax investigation of the U.S. attorney's office in Delaware. In addition to Delaware, the securities fraud unit in the Southern District of New York also scrutinized Hunter Biden's finances, according to the person with direct knowledge of the investigation. The person said that as of early last year, investigators in Delaware and Washington were also probing potential money laundering and Hunter Biden's foreign ties. The person spoke on the condition of anonymity because they are not authorized to discuss yada yada. OK, Uh in addition to the probe in 100 Biden, federal authorities in the Western District of Pennsylvania are conducting a criminal investigation of a hospital business in which Joe Biden's brother, James, was involved. Federal officials have asked about James Biden's role in the business, according to a secondhand blah, blah. OK, there is no indication Joe Biden himself is under investigation. But this could complicate his presidency and shine an unflattering light on his relatives dealings. You don't say this is the best the Democrats could do. Really? Here we are. And this is not a Russia collusion fairy tale. This is not something that was cooked up by a bunch of lib, unethical journos at the New York Times or James Comey and some other smug weirdos at the DOJ. This is real. Here we are just a little just a month or so past the election, still have challenges in the courts. I know. But the election day has come and gone. And now they're like, yeah, it turns out uh, Hunter Biden is under serious criminal scrutiny right now. I I thought Joe Biden was going to restore honor and dignity to the White House. That's what they told us. I thought that Joe Biden was a totally straight shooter. I I thought that Joe Biden was somebody that. You didn't have to worry about good old Scranton Joe, blue-collar Joe, who's been living in multi-million dollar houses, despite being a public servant his entire adult life, pretty much. uh, He's been living in multi-million dollar houses for the last 40 years. But, you know, blue-collar Joe, sure. Sure he is. Uh, Now, this is where there's so much that I want to jump into here. Let's start with this. The media actively lied to the American people right before the election. We need to understand that. The Democrat aligned mainstream media, 95 percent of Democrats supporting and voting and the independent journalists are they're registered independents, but they're all Democrats. That's just a game they play. Uh, They they did more than just support their guy. They lied about information of the public interest in the public interest in order to make sure that there would be a an outcome that they desired. That was what it was. And the social media companies now work hand in glove with the mainstream media. You know, they're essentially just an extension of it. Although really, they're more powerful than the mainstream media. Google, Facebook, Twitter, they can they can kill any media outlet they want to. They can throttle you, shut you down, cut off your funds, cut off your reach. You're done. What are you going to do? You're going to go to askjeeves.com. Good luck. So what do we make of this? The people who were lecturing us for four years about the need to protect our sacred democracy, the people who have been claiming that the big threat to our future was Donald Trump
4: lying. He lies.
1: That's what they always said. They all lied to you. They were all either actively engaged in or complicit in this lie, which I got to be honest with you, I, I've told you all along, I don't think that this was necessarily going to be the end for the Biden campaign. But then again, we didn't really know whether there was money laundering tied to all of this, too. It's one thing to say Hunter Biden is involved in sleazy dealings. It's another thing to say he could be a felon involved in hiding money that's getting paid to him by agents of the People's Republic of China. That's that's a bit more. That's an escalation, right? Getting getting paid a little bit on the side is one thing. Being a convicted felon would be another. The media lied to you. They they actively work to suppress the truth because they think they know better than you about who should be president of the United States. The media lied to you. All right. So we start with that. It's so funny, too. Now they're like, oh, yeah, underreported story, they're saying, or, you know, didn't get that much attention. These are the news outlets saying it. I remember when it was, oh, this is all a lie. Think about the, the Hunter Biden story, the progression. At first, it was fake news, they said. At first, there was no Hunter Biden laptop. Then it was the laptop was stolen. And so, therefore, the information on it was inadmissible or something in a journalistic sense. Then it was, oh, it was hacked, which all these things were not true. And then it was, oh, there's really nothing there. There's nothing on the laptop, nothing to see here. And now it's, oh, yeah, it turns out the laptop was real. It wasn't stolen. It wasn't hacked. It was 100 percent true. And there is a federal money laundering investigation into what the who the media is calling the president elect's son. He's not the president elect until the Electoral College meets. That is that is actually the process. They can say this all day, but it does not actually change the, the truth. Right. This would be like saying, well, we don't actually have to say that there's you know, this guy's an, an alleged murderer. We'll just say he's a murderer in the press because, you know, that alleged thing. Let's skip past the jury trial. No, I, I say no. I say we we have these rules for a reason. And if you're going to ask us, ask us to respect some parts of the process, you can't then discount others. But of course, that's what the media does all the time. Show us your principles, they say to conservatives when it's in the interests of the left and the Democrats, when it advantages them to pretend that they also have principles. And then we see them abandon any principle at the moment that they think that that is helpful. We're not supposed to notice this. Oh, what are they going to say now? Hunter Biden uh, is not a not a problem for, for Joe Biden. Remember, it wasn't just that Hunter Biden was doing. This wasn't Hunter Biden got caught, you know, selling weed at a party or something. This guy's a 40 something year old man and he was leveraging his dad and including his dad in these discussions to get rich. And he's a total screw up. This guy, we all know that everyone knows that even his dad knows that. So we know that he's not some criminal genius or something. It's not like he covered his tracks well. So if they look into this at all, it's very likely that they'll find out that there were some problems here. But do I think they'll really look into this? I've already had some friends reaching out and asking, do you you think that a a Joe Biden DOJ would even begin a serious investigation or or allow the continuation of a serious investigation of possible money laundering of the president's son? The answer is no. And I know people don't want to hear that. I, I know we want to think that, The system isn't that rotten or that corrupt. I'm here to tell you the Democrats have made it that rotten and corrupt. That is where we are now. Look at Russia collusion. They are promoting people in the media and in government from the Obama era now who were big Russia collusion hoaxers. If you were a Russia collusion PP tape truther, you have benefited from that. Because the whole point of it was the smear, the sliming, the attack on Trump. It wasn't about defending our democracy. Nobody really believes that because nobody really thought that there was Russia collusion. At least nobody was moderately intelligent, but they pretended. Okay, yeah, we can run with this. We'll do this story night after night after night. The first three years of the Trump presidency were dominated by a story in the media that was a lie. That they pretended to be just, oh, we're serious journals and we're looking into this. Absolutely not true. The whole thing was a fraud. The moment you understand that we are now in an information environment of warring propaganda machines, you start to see everything more clearly. If you are not a polemicist these days, you are controlled opposition for the other side. That's where we are. You're either fighting against this or you're not. Worth people's time with what you're doing, right? You're either taking a stand against the leftist Democrat media collective, or what are you really doing? I'm talking about for people in the media, not for everybody. And so this is where we find ourselves. This is where we are. People ask me, what should be done now? Do I think a Hunter Biden investigation would be allowed to continue under Joe Biden? Absolutely not. They'll shut it down. Bill Clinton lied under oath as clearly as anyone can lie about anything never even faced a criminal charge didn't have to pardon himself didn't matter does anyone really think that it'll be different under a Biden administration after all the lectures we got about our sacred democracy from these Democrats you think they're going to change absolutely not so what can we do other than point out the lies other than try to shame them they won't they won't be shamed into into honor or decency but they should be shamed anyway And the media is atrocious in this country. It's a disgrace. But what else can we do? Appoint a special counsel. President Trump is the president. Attorney General Bill Barr is the head of the Department of Justice. This is a perfect example of where we need a special counsel because this investigation is going to be fraught with political pressure and considerations. So we need someone brought in from the outside to have full autonomy to investigate Hunter Biden and his associates up to and including Joe Biden if and when he becomes president of the United States. Why not? Someone explain to me why we should not do this. Oh, because it's mean, because it'll make the Democrats have the sads. It's an even better reason. Look at what they did to us. If they get away with this, and they're on, they're on the the edge of getting away with it. If they do, they will do it again, and they will have benefited from it. Maybe it's time we start fighting fire with fire. A special counsel on Hunter Biden sounds like a great idea to me.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
5: What was interesting was how much, uh, how, how, how much we all said the same thing. We were a lot of people from different countries talking about freedom of the press in their country, in Europe, and in Asia, and in Africa, and. Uh, Donald Trump has had a very, very corrosive effect on the freedom of the press. I used to say in the beginning in 2017 that this was just rhetoric. But the fact is that he's called us the enemy of the people. And the term fake news has been repeated by 50 presidents, prime ministers and other national leaders around the world. Uh, And it's become uh, it's become a calling card for authoritarians. And so I do think there's been a very corrosive effect. But I would like to say. Say that i think that at least in this country our system has the court that the system is held in terms of democracy the press has done its job the courts the the, the separation that the courts have done their job so i am not as um you know negative and pessimistic as um some of my colleagues internationally
1: that's what you'll hear over at msnbc i, I wanted you to, to get to listen to that drivel Because that's a pretty good summation. The the libs, the journos are lunatics. I mean, they're, they're completely deranged. They think they've done their job. Oh, I'm sorry. The suppression of speech that is going on that's coming from social media. Is that something that they talk about? Do they fight against that? They have no problem with it. They are in cahoots. They are a part of this. They are the authoritarians. That is the tragic irony of this whole situation. We all see it. Yes, the press did their the press did their job by lying to the American people about Russia collusion for three, four years now. That's their job. They have no credibility. They show no ethics, no decency. They never apologize. It's just creating this frothy mouthed rage machine of anti-Trumpism. That's what they did. When she says we did our job, you know what she's really saying? Yeah, because we think Trump lost the election now. That that is in the journo's view, their job, their job was not to present the American people with facts. You know, they talk about democracy in the media all the time and they talk about free speech. They're, they're enemies of free speech. And journalism as a profession is actually the enemy of the American people right now. It's true because they're liars and there's no accountability. And what they do is disgusting. But when she says that they accomplished their mission, unfortunately, or, or did their job, Unfortunately, from the perspective of a leftist, there's some truth to that, because here we are still fighting it out over this election, still wondering if we're able to get some justice here. And the journos are all saying, well, we we weren't able to do it in 2016, but we rebounded and got it done in 2020. Does anyone really doubt that they found their purpose to be destroying Donald Trump and stopping him from having four more years? They suppressed the Hunter Biden story. The reason fake news resonates so much. And let's remember, they were the ones, the elite journos were the ones that popularized the term fake news because their whole initial pitch was that Trump voters are so dumb, they believe all the fake news stories from Russia online. And then Trump said, no, you are the fake news. Completely turned it around. It was actually one of the most brilliant things he did in his presidency. He took their weapon and used it against them. And they hate him for it. They absolutely hate him for it. And now they want to tell you that what they're going to speak truth to power if and when there's this Biden presidency, which is going to be just a joke. This guy, Joe Biden, is he's a clown. He I don't care if, if he ends up being president. I don't care. He's still B team. Always will be nothing impressive about this guy. Nothing worthwhile about his leadership or his vision. Just a guy who shows up and does what he's got to do, whatever that took, saying whatever he had to say, shilling for the credit card companies out of Delaware for a long time. And and now he's supposed to be some man of the people who unites us and brings us all together. Just wait until they shut down the Hunter Biden investigation. You know what they're going to say? If there's a Biden administration, they shut down the Hunter Biden investigation. Uh, probe. I, I can assure you, I already know what the talking point will be. But Trump, pardon people, and Trump is so bad, and Trump, you know, orange man bad. That's all they'll say. They won't even they won't even be able to connect the dots with wow. So Biden's actually really corrupt.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio Radio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Well, firstly, uh, I feel bad for the taxpayers in Texas that have to finance this ridiculous and frivolous lawsuit. Um, You know, we should note that AG Paxton, um, you know, is a member of the Trump campaign, uh, very involved with that. Uh, Also that he is currently under federal indictment for securities fraud. And also being investigated by the FBI, so I see this more than anything as an effort to ingratiate himself to a man who could potentially uh, provide him with a presidential pardon.
1: Yeah, that's what it is. Always, it's always it's always angling for a pardon from Trump, isn't it? They're not even the lib liars aren't even creative, are they? They just all repeat each other and think we're so smart. They all repeat each other. They think that that's clever. You have seventeen Republican attorneys general have already backed Trump in this lawsuit out of the state of Texas. So here's what it says. Um, This is this now this is the New York Times version. Understand this is supposed to be the way they write a news story. This is not this is not the editorial page, but you really won't be able to tell the difference. Despite dozens of judges and courts rejecting challenges to the election, Republican attorneys general in 17 states on Wednesday backed President Trump in his increasingly desperate and audacious legal campaign to reverse the results. The show of support in a brief filed with the Supreme Court represented the latest attempt by Trump loyalists to use the power of public office to come to his aid as he continues to deny the reality of his loss with baseless claims of voter fraud. The move is an effort to bolster a lawsuit filed on Tuesday by the pro-Trump attorney general in Texas, That seeks to delay the certification of the presidential electors in four battleground states that President Trump lost. So we shall see. Okay, that's the that's the way the New York York Times is just going all in with editorializing as a news story. Not 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 a surprise there. Um, Notice that lawsuits to Democrats. This is just one of many ways how we can establish that they don't have principles. They only have desires and wants and they shift whatever principles they have or discard them in order to achieve those desires and and wants. Here's what uh, here's what you, you should remember about all this. Democrats celebrated the usage of lawsuits and the federal bench, activist judges on the federal bench, constantly ensnaring and tangling up President Trump in every aspect of his agenda that they could, with bad faith lawsuits and legal decisions, right? Then when I say bad faith, you can tell because when the Ninth Circuit keeps doing something to stop Trump from doing something, right, they, they just, you, you know what's coming, and then the Supreme Court has to step in and say, no, you can't do that, no, that's not what the law says about the judges below them, the Obama appointees in particular on the Ninth Circuit, that's not good faith, that's abusing the process, but they loved lawsuits and judges and the law when they were particularly when Trump had the House and the Senate. I'm just going to say it. Not enough done. Not enough done during that period. Tax cuts. Pretty much it. And guess what's going to happen if there's a Biden administration? The taxes go up. I know people don't like to hear this, but this is the truth. Didn't get enough done. And you can there's a whole bunch of reasons why one of them is really bad personnel at the top level of the of the new administration in 2016. Horrible. Horrible people. For anyone who's going to write me some email now and say, "Oh, that's not yeah, really, you want to bring back Scaramucci and Amarosa and Rex Tillerson and yeah, that's the crew?" I don't think so. The, there was a lot of time lost in that transition period and afterwards. Some of it was, of course, because of the understand. I understand the ambush by the Democrats and the Russia collusion truthers and going after General Flynn. But I'm going to tell you this much: if there's an incoming Biden administration. They're going to try to to hit us day one with as much left wing crazy stuff as they can get away with via executive order already seeing. And this also ties into the legal issues I was talking to you about. There are hundreds of migrants who are moving in a caravan from Honduras toward the U.S. southern border right now. Why do you think that is? Why would the caravans start up again? What what has in the minds of people in Central America, for example, and as well as other countries all over the world, because they don't talk about this that much in the news, but it wasn't just people from Central America during the border crisis under the Trump administration who were showing up. There were people from Pakistan. There were people from Haiti. There were people from China, people from all over the world showing up at the border saying I'm fleeing. I'm fleeing oppression. They basically read in some cases actually reading an a little piece of paper. I'm fleeing oppression. I want I want asylum in your country. And who are you fleeing? What, what oppression do you have to? I'm fleeing oppression. That's all they know. That's all they have to say. OK, I guess you passed the credible screening test. Let's let you into the U.S. But you're going to show up at your hearing, right? You're going to show up at your credible fear at your uh, first immigration hearing to see if you actually get asylum. Oh, sure. Promise. We all know how that worked out. Why would a, a migrant caravan? This was an Associated Press story that I saw start making its way to the southern border again. Because they know the first order of business for Democrats will be the elimination of the filibuster. If they can get if they can get the majority, if they don't have the majority. The, and then there'll be all these other things that will happen anyway. If they don't have the majority, the first order of business will start will be executive orders from Joe Biden. And among those executive orders will be immigration, the extension of DACA as a kind of permanent status. And uh, they, they then will move toward amnesty. And once they get amnesty, you, you, what, you think that Texas is going to stay red if there is amnesty? Think about this. Think of all the states. Because after amnesty, you know what happens? The pathway to citizenship. Or maybe it's all at once. Maybe it's all together. Goodbye, goodbye Republican governance and administrations and all the rest of it. Those are the stakes right now and people are coming to our southern border because they know that under a biden administration what they'll do is tell the public one thing is happening while the bureaucracy uh, while the bureaucracy allows another thing to happen that's what they'll do and they'll say oh they're going to show up again tell you when i was living in uh, dc working at the at the hill.com doing that show uh, rising we had all these debates all these people showing up and i had been down at the border a few times i've been talking to border patrol and you'd have all these democrat talking heads that would show up and say everyone shows up for their hearings, there is no crisis at the border, they're all fleeing oppression, it was just a propaganda campaign, all lies, all lies. There was an exploitation of the goodness of the American people underway. We were allowing people to come here with one, under one set of rules and they were the first thing they were doing was breaking those sets of rules. They weren't even willing to wait at the points of, points of uh, ports of entry. They would cross the border illegally, which is a, it is actually an illegal act, believe it or not. It's like federal trespassing to step across the US Mexico border. That itself is is a is an illegal act. So they would do that so they could get arrested and then they would claim asylum. And then they would hope to get lost in the court system, get a delayed hearing or just not show up for the hearing. And if they show up for the hearing and the hearing goes against them for asylum, you know what happens next? They have to wait for a deportation hearing. How many people do you think show up for the asylum hearing, get denied? And then how many people show up for the deportation hearing again, just to see if they can actually get there? They've already been in the United States for months and months at that point, maybe a couple years. You think they're going to show up? But the propaganda machinery, of the Democrats will kick into high gear in 2021. If Biden is calling the shots again, they're going to say, oh, no, everyone showed they're going to lie all over again. They want things that they believe are justified by the lies. It's not even really a lie because the Democrats think it's so important. That's their attitude. That is how they approach all of these things. So you should you should remember that as they as a seek to give us all lectures about how the press did their jobs and Trump was a threat to freedom of the press. How is Trump a threat to freedom of the press by hurting their feels by making them feel sad what did he do? He, he, he made fun of some of them. The most insecure, vain and often sociopathic people I've ever met and, and often intellectually worthless are national political journalists. Terrible, terrible people go into this profession, lots of them. And they hate it when anyone points out, who are you? What are you doing? Your whole day to day of I'm here to speak truth to power is a fraud. We all know that, right? Do you think any of them, you think any of the New York Times, the Washington Post, they're going to speak truth to power in a Biden administration? Can anyone say that with a straight face? It's laughable. No one really believes that. But they'll say it. They'll say it anyway. And unfortunately, people with minds that are easily molded, the easily brainwashed, will say, yeah, that's true.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
6: Everyone is so... It's... When you cannot get people to even, when someone tells you that they won an election that they lost, that's going to a whole nother level. And then you have people believe you, believing in you because they trusted in you and they thought they were doing something that was noble by, and they thought they were standing up for the right thing when they really weren't, they were, you were leading them astray. And the common enemy is not us, it's not the media. I mean, listen, maybe it's someone else, it's not me. It's not you. To the best of my ability, I tell you the truth every night. And if I screw it up, I apologize and I correct it. But these people are being lied to and have been lied to for at least the past five years.
1: (laughs) I like I like the sort of calm and and uh, unity based Tony of Don Lemon. We're we the media. We're not the enemy. He works for CNN. He's he's an anchor at CNN. The commie news network. I mean, the way that that place transformed itself into an institution of pure anti-Trump propaganda over the last four years, that they should stu- Future generations should study this. It's actually remarkable. I mean, it's awful and it's wrong, but it's also pretty fascinating. They suppressed the Hunter Biden story. We have the, the tape right of uh, from James O'Keefe. And, and Project Veritas, which, you know, we always have these tapes that come out. I keep telling us, yeah, CNN, super liberal and they lie to all of us. I mean, I understand that it is maybe amusing to hear them in the lies, but we're not learning anything new with this. Just putting that out there. Yeah, I, I can tell you, as I've said, what what they're saying on the CNN editorial calls. I, I know what they're saying on the CNN editorial calls. Having worked there, I understand the mindset. But, yeah, they actively suppressed the Hunter Biden story. That's what they did. Uh, and And now they want us to believe that they're on our side. They're just they're just there for truth, man. Yeah, they're just telling us the truth. You know that this is all. This is all what we should expect, I suppose. And then there's Steve Schmidt. I got a question for you. You know, why is it that the people who are like all helping Democrats are they Democrats now, the Never Trumpers, or here you go, the dumbest political analyst on television at MSNBC? Steve, Schmi- MSNBC, Steve Schmidt. Here he is. Play eight.
6: We're in a fight now between an autocratic movement and a democratic movement, and the only way to win a fight is either through submission or through exhaustion. And here's the deal. And this is what I would say to the people that Tim described as deluded. They are in a party that has let out of the underworld a mixture of conspiracy theorists, white nationalists, white supremacists, militia groups. And all of those people are part of their Trump coalition. Right. They they are in the mainstream of the Trump coalition. Groups like the Lincoln Project. Our view is very simple. There is no compromise with these people. They must be driven back into the underworld of American politics. They have no place at the table and that any political party that wishes to associate with them has to become so toxic that they have no chance of winning elections.
1: So basically, I'm a Democrat. Well, with 95 percent of the Republican Party, 97 percent of the Republican Party, might even be more like 99 now. Uh, that supports Donald Trump, so they don't have a voice. They 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 don't have a voice at the table. But Steve Schmidt does, as long as he's taking money from left wing billionaires to pretend to be a, a conservative who makes anti-Trump ads. These people are ideological mercenaries, and you're going to see them. They're they're now going to be maneuvering. What what is their role here in a a possible post-Trump era? What what are they? going to be adding to all this? Well, they're Democrats. So I think their role should be that they get to go around and tell people the truth. Finally, they're actually Democrats now. I think Joe Scarborough does that. Or if he doesn't, it's laughable. He should. These people have switched parties over Donald Trump. So when they used to talk about protecting unborn babies, for example, that was just all for show. They don't really believe that. Now they're Democrats. When they talked about. The rule of law and supporting police and secure borders. And I don't mean, they've done that recently. I'm talking about, you know, go back 10 or 15 years with some of these guys when they were, you know, Romney McCain Republicans, when they would say those things, they didn't actually mean it. It didn't matter to them. It was just the thing they had to say that was of the greatest benefit to them at that moment in time. A lot of this, a lot of this going on. And just remember, uh, we should not. We should not uh, allow them to pretend that they weren't working for Democrats in this last election. They absolutely were. So they've gotten in a a way they may have gotten what they want here. And I I hope that this lawsuit out of Texas will get some traction. It's unlikely, folks, we are now at December 10th. The Electoral uh, College certification by the states happens on Monday. And then we have a few weeks, but it'll be over the holidays and won't be a lot going on. And then there'll be the actual Electoral College official tally. And uh, rather, I'm sorry, the Congress will certify the official tally. And. At that point, that's all she wrote. So we have a few weeks here. There could be something, and I don't know if you want to use the term miracle, but there could be something unexpected that comes together here. But what's the downside? I, I keep telling my friends this, who, p- people who are conservatives who view me as, as a fighter but reasonable, I, I, which I think is a nice, I'll take that, that I'm, I fight but I'm, I try to be reasonable. Uh, what's the downside of fighting? Why, why not make this as difficult for the Democrats as possible? Why not drive them insane? Oppose, resist, right? Hashtag resist. Now it's our turn. Now the shoe is on the other foot. Now we're the ones that are going to say, slow it all down. Attack with everything we've got. Use every advantage we have within the system to defeat the people, the Democrats, Biden, who corrupted so thoroughly our entire political system.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The election fight is still underway, and it could go all the way to the Supreme Court. Our friend Sean Parnell, former Army Ranger and congressional candidate in Pennsylvania, is at the tip of the spear on this one. Sean, great to have you.
2: Hey, it's great to be back, as always, Buck. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell me tell me where this stands right now, because people are, are looking still at Pennsylvania and thinking that that may be where the uh, the wall is breached on this election. What's going on?
2: Well, look, I, I, we brought a, just to provide context for listeners or viewers, we, we brought a lawsuit uh, uh, through the Commonwealth Court, through the PA Supreme Court, and ultimately it ended up at the Supreme Court that, that asserts that Act 77, Pennsylvania's universal uh, mail-in absentee ballot law is unconstitutional. And look, it is facially unconstitutional. Uh, it's clear. Uh, we, we've been in three courts, as I mentioned, three courts on this, but only one of those three courts has, has bothered to even evaluate this case on the merits. And in that instance, they said, if plaintiffs are likely uh, to move forward on the merits, that we will win. That Act seventy seven is is facially unconstitutional. Um, so, we brought that case. Uh, it, it went uh, to the Commonwealth Court, where we, where we got a favorable r- ruling. It went to the PA Supreme Court, where they dismissed it on a legal doctrine called latches, basically saying that I brought the lawsuit too late. Uh, but here's the here's the here's the uh, the ket twenty two that they put us in is that I couldn't have challenged the law any earlier because two hundred years of PA Supreme Court case law says candidates can't challenge elections prior to them being finished. <laughs> so I couldn't challenge the, the the constitutionality of Act 77 before the election, couldn't challenge it after, and then the PA Supreme Court dismissed it with prejudice and said that essentially, I can't ever challenge Act 77 again, so we brought it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court, um, after hearing both sides of the argument, uh, what they did was dismiss our our petition for injunctive relief only, right? Now, what we asked the Supreme Court to do, and this is important, was just temporarily halt the certification of Pennsylvania while we debated the constitutionality of Act 77 on the merits. Now, the PA Supreme Court said, no, we're not going to halt the certification. We're going to allow that to move forward. But the critical piece here is that they did not dismiss our case like so many in the media have reported. Uh, we are allowed to petition for what's called a, a writ of certiori, um, which basically is, is legalese for uh, we're asking the Supreme Court to, to hear the case on the merits. And Buck, I think that they have an obligation to step in and, and, and rule on the merits because the people of this country deserve some clarity and they deserve to know if the elections that we conducted here in the, in the, in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania are indeed constitutional. Because right now Act 77, uh, it's a black letter of the law, as 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 people say, it's it's clearly unconstitutional. And so, this is the way that our system was intended to work. We're going to the courts for clarity, and and so far uh, we haven't had much success with the High Court of Pennsylvania uh, or the Supreme Court. Uh, but we're hoping uh, that they'll take up this case and and allow for our petition for certiorari to pass, and and and. and eventually rule on the merits.
1: Sean, uh, do you have some sense of what the timeline is on this? Because there are a lot of folks who are seeing the days pass on the calendar and, you know, Inauguration Day is going to be here before we know it. So h- how how do we uh, view the time situation?
2: Yeah, so we, we're going to submit our petition for certiorari today. Um, now I don't know how long the Supreme Court is going to take to act on that. The Supreme Court, as I've sort of learned as this process has gone on, the Supreme Court is a is an enigmatic body, you know. And and quite frankly, uh, you know, the nine Supreme Court justices are all very very smart people, and, and they sort of do things in their own way, in, in their own way. And a lot of people were reading into, oh, it's a one sentence denial. Well, that's sort of typical. That's that's what they do. And and oh, it's a nine zero opinion. There were no dissents. They don't. They don't weigh in on things like that. the, the truth is, it could. It could have been a five-four decision. We have no idea, and anybody that is reporting it was 9-0 with no dissents has no idea either. So, um, we're hoping uh, that our petition for certiorari will be taken up uh, in an expedited way, Buck, uh, to try to to try to give the American people a sense of clarity. Uh, but but I'll add one more thing that the only date that really matters uh, that constitutionally matters for for the Supreme Court. Uh, is January 20th. So uh, again, one of the things that I've learned uh, throughout this process is that the Supreme Court can pretty much do whatever it wants with regards to issuing a remedy, as long as they follow the Constitution, of course. Um, and so, you know, the idea that, you know, with the media narrative is, oh, Parnell wants to throw out 2.5 million mail-in ballots. That, that's not at all what we're asking to do. We're simply asking uh, the Supreme Court, uh, at, at this point, the Supreme Court to follow the Constitution of the United States. And so um, we're still in the fight. Many in the media uh, have reported to the contrary, uh, but we intend to have our petition filed uh, at some point today, hopefully.
1: We're speaking to Sean Parnell, former Army Ranger, current congressional candidate out in Pennsylvania, in Western PA. Uh, and he's at the forefront of this legal fight. Sean. What would be, in your mind, a just outcome from the perspective of the Supreme Court with regard to your specific legal challenge?
2: Well, well, I, I, I it's a great question. I'd love for them to hear it on the merits first, and whatever, whatever outcome uh, or whatever, whatever ruling that they that they provide, of course, will honor. Uh, you know, he, but I, the reason why I'm I'm so steadfast in my pursuit of this is because, Buck, I believe that Pennsylvania and perhaps our nation uh, is really in the midst of a a constitutional crisis. So in Pennsylvania, let's say the court says, yeah, 2020 was messed up. Act 77 is unconstitutional. We're gonna kick this back to the legislature to fix this problem. You wanna pass Act 77, do it the right way, pass a constitutional amendment. Um, Well, the problem with that course of action, while I would certainly accept it, and and while many people believe that that would be imminently fair, uh, fix it moving forward, well, you're going to have 50% of the people in the state of Pennsylvania say, "Wait a second, the election in 2020 was unconstitutional and therefore illegal." 50% of the people aren't going to be okay with that. And you know, on on the flip side, you know, if the Supreme Court says that yes, Act 77 is unconstitutional, and therefore any ballot submitted under that system is also unconstitutional and illegal, and we're tossing these ballots. Well, guess what? That is also a very explosive decision. And, and the truth of the matter is, Buck. There's really no easy answer here. Well, but what would be what would be
1: covered, this. Sean? Just so everyone knows, what would be covered under that umbrella of Act 77 ballots if the Supreme Court did that, which would be a huge move? What would be covered?
2: Yeah. Well, okay. So you know, like any ballot, any no excuse absentee ballot would would be if if the Supreme Court did that, right? And and I really want to say if because. They they could do whatever they want to remedy this situation, right? Um, uh, if they did, it would just be no excuse for absentee ballots. Like any absentee ballot that was filled out in accordance with the Pennsylvania Constitution, like you know military service is is one of the provisions where you can vote absentee. Uh, having to work, having to be out of town. Uh, you're working at a poll and can't vote. All of those provisions are covered under the Pennsylvania Constitution. Those ballots would still count. So, again, anybody out there that's saying, oh, Parnell wants to discount military ballots, that's a lie. That's not true. Uh, the only thing we're talking about is no excuse absentee ballots. And, and the reason why this is a dilemma and, and why 2.5 million people, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, are fired up about that. And guess what? They should be. Uh, but let's make sure that they're they're focused and putting the blame in the right spot. We're We're talking about a— a General Assembly that passed an unconstitutional law, a governor that signed and implemented an unconstitutional law, an attorney general in the state of Pennsylvania who failed to opine on the constitutionality of the law at the time that it was passed, and a secretary of state that, that manipulated that law to benefit her own party and watered down ballot integrity. The, 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 the blame for disenfranchisement of the people of this commonwealth rests squarely on the commonwealth government and buck you know me you know me for a long time you know that i'm not a politician you know that i'm not afraid to stand up to my own party that's part of what i'm doing here the general assembly is controlled by republicans i'm suing the general assembly and i'm suing our radical democrat governor and our radical democrat attorney general right because this is a constitutional issue the constitution shields us all from government overreach democrat republican and everybody in between and and that's what i'm fighting for and at the end of the day buck it, the most important part of the constitutional amendment process, in this regard, right in, in changing time, place, and manner of elections here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And by the way, Act 77 represents the most radical change in our Commonwealth election ever since our since the founding of our country. The most important part of the constitutional amendment process is that the people have a say. It, it was the it was the it was the intentions of the framers of the PA Constitution. To make the amendment process that way, to give the people a say, and also, every instance in the state of Pennsylvania upheld by the Supreme Court, PA Supreme Court, by the way, every instance of an ex- unconstitutional expansion of absentee ballots, uh, it, it's been struck down. Uh, it's been struck down by the PA Supreme Court. So, in order for the PA Supreme Court to even rule against us, they have to overturn 184 years of their own ruling precedent, which is why they dismissed us on 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 a technicality. So. You know, I'm in this fight because it's the right thing to do. It's not the easy thing to do. It's not what most politicians would do. Uh, but we're in this for the people and we're going to continue fighting for them.
1: Speaking of Sean Parnell, congressional candidate, he's involved in this lawsuit. They're filing today to try to get the Supreme Court to hear it on the merits to see if uh, it is agreed by the court that Act 77 in Pennsylvania was unconstitutional. Sean, before we let you go, you've mentioned to me before that when you check the signatures on on ballots that came in from specifically some nursing homes in western pa that it was fishy do we have any further information on that do we have any confirmation because i think one of the big challenges people have is we hear so much in all these affidavits or read and and hear from witnesses on these affidavits of fraud that they saw but ironclad proof as in a hundred signatures from different ballots that all look the same that would really be helpful. Where are you in that?
2: Yeah, that's a a great question. And so for your listeners and viewers, we we did a random sampling of 2000 ballots here from four different nursing homes in Beaver County. Um, We did a freedom of information request to grant access to get access to that information. Uh, After looking at it for five minutes, we realized that most of the handwriting was the same. The signatures appeared to be forged. Uh, So what we've done, Buck, is we've turned that information over the, to the district attorney in Beaver County. He's looking at it. He's asked us a couple follow-up questions to get information on, on the ballots and, and where they came from. And if the, once the district attorney's investigation is done, he'll send it up to the to the uh, U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Pennsylvania. And so here's the challenge, Buck. We're in a very short timeline, right, to, to certify this election. As you mentioned, January 20th is going to come around pretty quickly, right? Uh, the problem is, they were on a very short timeline, and it just takes time to do these investigations. So right now, the uh, the district attorney here in Beaver County uh, has those ballots and has that evidence, is in the process of, of conducting an investigation. Hopefully, he finishes that investigation soon and sends it to the next level.
1: John Parnell, everybody. The man is in the fight. He was when he was in Afghanistan, <laughs> and now he is back here at home. Sean, my friend, good luck. Keep us in, keep us in the loop, okay?
2: Yep. Thanks, Buck.
0: I appreciate it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
3: And now we have Eric Swalwell, who's been swindled by the the Chinese. But what's even more interesting here is, why did he attack the American director of intelligence, John Radcliffe's report, talking about the expansion of China spying throughout? He attacked- Last week. Just last week. He attacked the director, John Radcliffe, defending China. Yeah. This man should not be in the Intel committee. He's jeopardizing national security. What is being said in those meetings inside the skiff that we don't want other people to hear or listen? You can't not you cannot take in your watch, you cannot take in your phone. Mm-hmm. But here we have an individual who Nancy Pelosi this is the real question when did Nancy Pelosi know of this and why did she, he he why did she maintain him on the committee
1: questions that should be answered but I think we all know they're probably not going to be answered but I appreciate that that Congress McCarthy is asking them of course these this whole thing is going to turn into a lot of media jokes with McCarthyism any moment now if it has not already I'm sure the Daily Beast and Slate and all the other, uh, you know, lib clowns will be doing that very soon. But here's what I, I have to tell everybody about the Swalwell situation. He will face no real consequences for this. It's not going to happen. That's the the beauty of being a Democrat, being a leftist who was a Russia collusion truther. You did your part. It, it's almost like you're a mafia hitman. And, you know, now it's time for you to go to prison. And they're saying, well, no. We're going to make sure that, you know, we we get you out of the country and that you're you're fine. You're safe. We don't want you to to suffer for this. So they make sure that there are no consequences because you did your part for the mob. Right. That's what they're doing here. They're making sure they will make sure there's absolutely nothing that happens to Eric Swallow as a result of all this. And I, I even mean, politically, it's not clear. There's, and I'm going to say this people maybe don't want to hear this, but it's not not clear at all that Eric Swole did anything illegal. It's just gross. It's gross. And it shows how open to being an agent of influence uh, a lot of Democrats, a lot of Americans are on behalf of the People's Republic of China. China is a very wealthy country now and highly sophisticated in its intelligence operations and has a vision that it is executing on against the united states it has been for a long time we have been asleep at the wheel and there's also been a whole lot of at least uh, passivity on the part of american politicians on behalf of the people's republic of china and in some cases complicity could be much worse we've never really looked into this all that thoroughly have we for all the talk we had during the Trump years of Russia collusion and look at what they're doing with Trump and Russia and the Kremlin, uh, the, the Russians. And I heard this from people that actually know Russia and Russian sentiment. I have friends who are from there and they uh, I asked them whenever I could. What what, what the, they think it's preposterous. It's like a big joke. The Americans or the American media is always, oh, Russia. Some of them think it's it's pretty amusing. They, they probably enjoy it, but it's absurd. They knew it was absurd. But you want to talk about interfering in our election. China has so much more ability to influence things here. Remember, China was responding to Trump's sanctions against or Trump's, you know, trade uh, uh, trade war acts against China, whatever you want to call them, tariffs. There you go. Uh, China responded in such a way that they were specifically trying to target agricultural communities in more vulnerable states for Trump's re-election so China actively tries to hurt Trump politically on behalf of his political opponents that that's a fact we know this right they're trying to play our system and think about all the other ways that they're doing that right now think about all the other mechanisms for for China on this um, and we're just beginning to un- uncover them more fully I mean Eric Swalwell you know he he, he, did, did he say anything? Did he leak any classified? There's, there is no evidence. That's a very serious allegation. There's no evidence of that yet. Was he way too favorable toward China? Did he have a sort of a soft spot for China that was cultivated on behalf of, or rather at the behest of a Chinese government agent who was basically working him? Yeah, that that is very possible. And in some ways, that might even be much more, much more valuable. I and mean, it really depends... On what the long term goals were of this particular influence operation. So, Swalwell can try to run away from this as much as he wants, but the media will cover for him.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Oh my gosh, talk about karma. If this doesn't show that God has a sense of humor, then what in the world does? For years, he and others made these accusations against people for which there was zero evidence. For years, they came out day after day after day from the intel committee hearings and leaked information about these individuals. And, and which, we, which we now know and which we would say, hey, none of this stuff that they're saying is true. And while he has this background and this history, Like I said, the karma on this is as thick as mud. It's really ironic that he would find himself in this position after their behavior for the last four years. Uh, I mean, it shows the judgment of a 12 year old that he would have involved himself in this relationship and then and then acted the way he did for the last, as I said, four years throughout the Russia investigation and impeachment.
1: I got to tell you, if you're if you're an intelligence officer in this country, if you work in the intelligence community, you know, you would have to be very careful and your clearance would probably get revoked. I mean, if you you're you got a foreign national and all these ties, all these things come up and, you know, you're this guy. If he were just an employee with a security clearance, he would lose it and and probably get fired. And that's where it would stop, I think, honestly. I know right now I could say, oh, he'd go to prison for 20 years. Everyone would say, yes, retweet, click, we love it. No, that wouldn't happen. But he would get fired. He would lose his clearance. And more to the point, this is a guy who was completely and absolutely just reckless, absolutely reckless. When it came to allegations against other people. So I understand when I say there's no evidence that he committed treason or that he passed along classified information. Some people will bristle at that a little bit. And I understand this because they're like, why are you giving him the benefit of the doubt on that buck? He didn't give Trump it. And that's a fair point. That's a fair point. This guy was a smear art, not a very bright one either, but a smear artist just riding that Russia wave as far as he could against the sitting president and used it, unfortunately, to some effect to harm the administration. This was not without consequence. This did not happen in a way where it wasn't a big deal. There were investigations. There was a special counsel. There were people who were put in criminal jeopardy. Some even faced criminal charges and were convicted, all because of people like Swalwell running around lying about Russia collusion. Devin Nunes, who is really one of the unsung heroes of this whole thing because he took so much heat in the early days. And I remember sitting down with him in in Congress back in, I don't know, 2018, and talking about this and, you know, he was they were saying all kinds. Oh, what Nunes is saying is crazy about about the spying on the Trump campaign and the FISA stuff. And oh, FISA is all legit and nobody would ever lie. They lied and lied so much. It's hard to even keep track of it all. Devin Nunes is having a little moment of schadenfreude right now over what's going on with uh, his colleague in the Congress. Swalwell, play six.
7: Well, look, this is something that was uh, all all new to uh, the American public uh, and to many people in Congress. And I think uh, the the answers so far that we're seeing out of uh, out of Swalwell, uh, who ran around, let's not forget, for four years, uh, accusing everyone of being Russian agents. Uh, Let's not forget, he was a what I call a P-tape truther. He was promoting the dossier, the still dossier that involved supposedly Donald Trump and prostitutes and all this stuff well the whole time he knew uh, that he had some hip, some of his own issues I think we have a situation of the pot calling the kettle black uh, so look I think everybody needs to know uh, what did he know when did he know it uh, what's been done since uh, are, what you, are, gonna push for are you gonna
5: push for a probe are you gonna push for a probe of this well look at this, at, at, at this
7: point at this point um, You know, this is not a decision that I get to make at this time. Uh, I think you've already seen our leader, Kevin McCarthy, has said uh, that he should. I think he said he should actually resign from Congress. Um, Look, he has time here to come out and tell us what he said. And then we'll see, is he going to get reappointed to the House Intelligence Committee next year? Uh, If that happens, that will be something that comes into my jurisdiction. And then we'll have to we'll you know, seriously have concerns about it.
1: Remember, they said that the Democrats were out there saying that Devin Nunes was crazy. He should lose his place in the House Intelligence Committee for saying stuff that was true about Russia collusion lies and the way that they were going after Trump and using this as a weapon against the Trump administration and the way that the FISA process and the FBI and there was so much abuse and collusion going on behind the scenes. I mean, the real foreign intelligence collusion in the 2016 election Was that the Hillary DNC paid a British, you know, operative to go gather a bunch of Russian disinformation, compile it together and then run it through the launder it through the FBI and the news media so that people would think that this stuff was true. That's the real foreign interference, a foreigner using foreign sources to undermine a president in an election year and the DNC paid for it. They paid for it. That's what happened. These are facts. And so that's why that we now have Eric Swalwell looking like he might have his own issue here. A lot of members of Congress are just saying, well, you know, yeah, that's right. This is a guy who finds himself uh, facing perhaps the other side of this. You know, it's one thing to run around smearing other people, destroying their reputations, making people think that they're traitors. I mean, remember, the president wasn't being accused. President Trump wasn't being accused. Well, they accused him of a lot of things, but it wasn't like, you know, uh, he was involved in some shady, shady land deal 20 years ago. There was that, too. But it it wasn't it wasn't some minor thing. They call him a traitor. They said he betrayed his country. For a president to betray his country, what could be uh, a more extreme uh, denigration of someone's character at elected office and that to be a traitor to your country. I mean, Teddy Kennedy killed a woman and he was still in the Senate, be a traitor to your country. I don't know if, well, you look at what Teddy Kennedy actually did in his conversations with the Soviets and whole other conversation. But now we have, oh, but I saw uh, Molly Hemingway on Twitter pointed out Andrew Cuomo got the Teddy Kennedy leadership award and Molly responded to this, uh, When Cuomo was thankful about this, the governor of New York got this leadership award. She said, oh, that that makes a lot of sense. Is it an award that's given out to people who kill people and get away with it? Because, yeah, Teddy Kennedy, folks, they covered it up just like they covered up the Hunter Biden uh, investigation of money laundering. It's a big story. That's a big story. The other stuff was gross, but criminal acts by the would be president's son, you'd think that that would get more attention. So, yes, Swalwell will be protected by the media. And I don't I don't suspect there'll be much in the way of consequences for him, because what do I always tell you? If you are a soldier for the left in the ideological war, they protect their own. They take care of them. Conservatives get left behind on the battlefield. Just, you know, just ask Scooter Libby. That's what Dick Cheney said to, to Bush about Scooter Libby. You're leaving a man behind on the battlefield. He was right. Conservatives get left behind. Sorry, don't want. Don't want all the angry editorials the Washington Post. Don't want that. Can't handle that. But at least we can tell each other. We can speak the truth publicly for now, until you know Facebook and Twitter and these other companies decide that that's that's not allowed either. That the truth, when it hurts Democrats, needs to be suppressed, and that becomes just the official, the official um, situation. All right? We'll just tell you, yeah, sorry, you're not allowed to criticize Democrats anymore. That kind of a. You think that's impossible? Why? They lied. They they suppressed the Hunter Biden story, and that was very clear why they did that.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
8: At this point no gatherings outside your immediate family that are in a sense potted together. And what I mean by that is that the people who you have been with who haven't had outside exposures. So if your son and daughter are coming home from college, they're not part of your pod. Uh, you know, either they quarantine for 10 to 14 days or they're not part of what happens at the holidays. Don't get together with neighbors. No Christmas parties. There is not a safe Christmas party in this country right now unless everybody for the previous 10 to 14 days were potted. You know, I, I think many of my colleagues Colleagues are saying, well, limit it to 10 people, whatever. You know, that's, that's happy talk. We have to tell people what's happening. And as you're, you report these numbers every day. And I know that, that you don't grow insensitive to them. You understand these are all humans who have lost their lives, who won't be at the Christmas table this year. But at the same time, we keep telling people who are really upset with, We're, you know, coming down too hard. I mean, look at how governors and mayors are taking the heat right now for trying to limit transmission. But look what's also happening.
1: They're not limiting anything. That's the problem. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. How many times do we have to say this? They're wrong. It's not working. But they won't give up. Just dug in on this. Listen to us. Listen to us. Listen to us. Most deaths ever in one day in the U.S. from COVID-19. Most cases ever in one day and one week in the United States. Most deaths, most cases in Germany and other European countries, too. They're hitting records. It's not because we're not masking enough. We have all kinds of regulations in place. We have all kinds of things that we're being told to do that will stop this. They will not. It will not stop it. They can keep saying this. It's just getting more and more annoying now. It will not stop it. Just just watch. You know what they're going to say in a week or two? You're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. Well, two weeks after that, the virus is still going to be spreading. Sorry, guys, you're not you're not doing enough. Yeah. And that's where we are. That is the reality. They won't say that, though. Interesting study out of uh, out of South Korea. So they, because they have a low level of cases in South Korea. A lot of theories about why that is. I've heard that it's because South Korea has already had a lot of cross cross-react- cross reactive T cell immunity built up from other respiratory diseases that have come. Uh, Out of China, I don't I'm by these are theories I do not I'm not saying they're true. I don't know. But, you know, we're told that in South Korea, they have a very good uh, test and trace program. And they've managed to figure this out um, so that they don't have they have not had the pandemic the way that many other many other countries have. But they did a test and trace. On a high school student. And the only case that they could find Uh, the only case that they could find was somebody who was 20 feet away from a person while dining indoors, 20 feet away while dining indoors for less than five minutes. Now, I just want I just want everyone to understand this. How many times have you been told six feet, stay away six feet and that this is based in science? Do you know what the six feet comes from? Some study a long time ago had to do with droplets, and it was really initially three feet. So the World Health Organization's guidance was stay three feet away from somebody to avoid droplets. What do you think it really does to stay three feet away from somebody to avoid droplets if they're telling us now, according to this study? I know. Oh, gosh, I can't put this on Twitter or Facebook. They'll ban me for saying it's a study published New York Post mentioning it here. The Journal of Korean Medical Science put this out. All right. They had had no, this was in North Giola province. The restaurant, uh, the restaurant there, they hadn't had any infections in a month. And the high schooler traveled and they checked this GPS cell phone data. And she had briefly overlapped in a restaurant with a saleswoman who contracted COVID-19 while traveling for business. And they had the same strain of the virus. So they're pretty sure that's how she got it. And when they did that, when they did the test and trace, what they found out is that 20 feet away was the closest this woman was, and it was for less than five minutes, and she got infected. Okay, now now, now here's, we, here's the other part of this. All these people that are going, wear the mask because it stops the droplets. It stops the droplets. This is what we're told, right? This is what's drummed into our heads. Wear the mask. It's up. Do we think that a, a droplet? I mean, that, that would be the heat seeking missile of droplets. But if you are spreading virus into the air and the virus actually is aerosolized and just moves with airflow. What do you really think a loosely draped kerchief with Biden Harris 2020 on your face is going to do? I'm just I would want to ask people that. Oh, it, it it super filters the air that you're breathing in. What do you think that a loosely affixed affix, uh, mask of any kind is really going to do? Um, N95 mask, yes. N95 mask, properly fitted, worn the whole time, will offer protection. I've never, I've never said that that wasn't true. I've read the studies that say that that's true. Everyone's always thought that's true. That's not what we've been told. That's not what we're doing now. So 20 feet away, I, you know, start asking people questions about this and, and see what their answers are. Ask, ask medical doctors, how could the virus spread 20 feet in less than five minutes? But our test and trace program in New York City, for example, is premised upon there being at least 15 minutes of indoor contact with a person for the virus to spread. We have so much about this that we still do not know. There is so much here that they just pretend is not an outstanding question is this is this South Korean study? Is this fake? Is this false? Is this fake news? I, I just want. Oh, uh, they'll say it's only one study. Yeah, but. If one person can get infected from 20 feet away, I, I'm, I'm sure they were masked up, at least when they weren't eating mask up between bites. How protected does anybody really think they are if this can by by their masks and their six feet of social distancing, if this can happen? But. Don't ask any questions. Just do what you're told. Don't see your loved ones over the holiday. Just do what you are told. The public health authorities won't come clean with the American people on how much they don't know about this, how wrong they've been about this, and that they're the guidance that they're just now they're just nagging everybody. We all know we understand the rules. And then when we point out how arbitrary the implementation of so many of these rules are, they yell at us. We all know. And and yet they just repeat themselves. They never have real answers to these questions. Thankfully, I I do believe that this this vaccine within 90 days will bring us way down with this virus. And within six months, only people who love the power, love living in fear, don't want to go back to normal life. will think that we can't live normal lives again within six months when this vaccine gets distributed to tens of millions of Americans. There'll still be people that want you to mask up, that, you know, want you to be running on the treadmill with a mask on. Hope you don't pass out. Right. But normal people won't feel that way. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple
0: Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: First, we're going to have to have a real public education campaign to ba- battle the skepticism. Uh, just think of the math on this. You have to get to 75% to 85% of the overall population vaccinated for the vaccine to be effective. 75 to 85%. 50% of the population says right now they don't want to take the vaccine. Uh, they don't trust the approval process. Uh, they're worried about vaccines in general. But 50% are now saying they don't want to take the vaccine. You cannot get to 75% if 50% don't take it. That's, even I can do that math. Uh, so we're going to need a real public education to dispel the skepticism that already exists. Uh, second, and very important to us here in the state of New York, this has to be done in a way that protects social justice. The health care system discriminates against black, brown, and poor communities by effect You have fewer health care facilities in poorer communities. That is a fact.
1: Okay, a lot here, a lot here. And you can expect the politics of vaccination to just grow over the next six months. I mean, there's going to be so much about this. Who gets it first? Who's made to do what? Is it mandatory? The vaccine should be this hallelujah moment. But it, it really isn't for a lot of people now. And I understand there are there are those they, no, notice how the, they bring up the identity politics components of this, but not the age stratification issue. If you're look, if you're over if you're over 60, you should get this vaccine based on the numbers. Now, you should also be able to do what, what you want. People shouldn't force a vaccine on anybody. But if you're over 60, I, I think, you know, I'm I'm I'll tell you this. I'm advising I would advise my own relatives and friends over 60 to get the vaccine. Advise them. Say, I think that would be a good idea. So it's their call, ultimately, right? This is a, See, I believe we live in a free society. Perhaps I'm increasingly being shown that I'm wrong on that, but I want to live in a free society. And so that that's the, the way that I approach all of this. Um, but this is going to get very, very political. It's going to get very messy as we go forward. And I think people over 60 should get this. I think people under 40... What what's really the, you know, come on. Do we have to get it if you're under 40? And I know 40 feels like kind of an arbitrary cutoff. It really could be under, I mean, if you're in your 50s, chances are very good that you'll be fine if you get this. If you're in your 20s and 30s, I mean, you're fine, basically. I mean, very, very few people have a problem with this in their 20s and 30s. You're not fine like it's great. You can get the flu, you can get very sick, you get a fever. It's not, not good, but... Your mortality rate is an entirely acceptable risk, very similar to what it would be for the flu, which we live with year in and year out and no one no one thinks that we should shut down all of society for it and also i, I would bring up where is the flu right now we're in the mid- we're in flu season it's it's we're in full on flu season where is the flu uh, if you were to go I mean, here i 'll do an experiment with you right now I'm just curious what what comes up when I say um Flu cases, U.S. Uh, what, what what comes up right now? Because, you know, in, in a given year, there are tens of millions of, of flu cases in the United States. That's just in the United States. And uh, kind of wondering why we're seeing so little flu this year. Uh, what do we have? So this is data cumulative since September 27th, 2020. You got the number of positive specimens for week 40, 429, according to the CDC, for the week of uh, um, uh, 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 for for week 40. Uh, uh, What? That that doesn't, doesn't that seem really low. The results, here you go. Public health laboratories. The results of tests performed by public health laboratories nationwide. This is the CDC website. This is not, this is not, you know, right-wing vaxdenier.com or something, right? This is the CDC website. Data from public health laboratories are used to monitor the proportion of circulating viruses that belong to each influenza subtype. And number of specimens tested, week 48, 10,000 data cumulative since September 27th 2020 week 40 140,000 they've had 140,000 tests since, since September 27th is how i'm reading this and uh, they have 84 positive specimens that they're looking i mean this this can't i mean, i'm reading i'm just reading you the data this can't be right influenza a 48 H1N1, 5. H3N2, 9. Yamagata lineage, 5. This is Influenza B. I've never even heard of this. Victoria lineage, 7. Influenza positive test reported by the CDC to uh, reported to the CDC by U.S. Public Health Laboratories. Uh, okay. This, this, it feels like this can't be right. I mean, I must be. And I'm telling you, this, I'm, I must be missing something. I didn't think the numbers would be this low. Uh, nationwide during week 48. So maybe this is just for one week, but even even still, you had 50 million, uh, 50 million cases of flu in, in, in most years across the country. That's the estimate. And we're talking about, you know, hundreds of flu cases nationwide? Hold on. National Center for Health Statistics Mortality Surveillance. This is fascinating. I, mean, I just wanted to do this while I was on the, on the radio with you. Here you go. Based on NCHS mortality survey, surveillance data on December 3rd, 2020, 12.8% of the deaths occurring during the week November 28th were due to pneumonia, influenza, and COVID-19. This percentage is above the epidemic threshold of 6.4% for week 48. Um, among the 2,094 PIC deaths reported for week 48, 1,397 had COVID-19 as an underlying or contributing cause of death on the death certificate. Hmm. Three listed influenza. Okay, so I mean, this is very clear, friends. Three listed influenza indicating the current increase in PIC mortality is due primarily to COVID and not influenza. Um... I, I'm, I'm being completely serious here and I, I'm asking and those of you who are and this is fascinating to see this. And I'm learning it as I'm telling you, because I just wanted to I want to look this up as I was on on air with you. Uh, so we're 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 to believe that as of December 3rd, the week of December 3rd, 2020, according to CDC data. You had two thousand and ninety four people who died from covid-19. And three people who died from it from influenza. Uh, If we had let's be very clear, if three people a week died from influenza during and this is December. okay? this is like when flu is very big in December, January, February, as we all know. If three people a week die from the flu, this is the least lethal year for flu in, in in like medical history. Now I, I need to know what exactly is the are they going to say it's because there's been so little travel and so little social congregation that the flu which is continuously circulating even in the off season in global populations I mean, this is pretty stunning isn't it you got over two thousand people in the in that week died from COVID and Three died from flu I am really curious to see what the uh, explanation is for that that is that is uh, just amazing to see so somehow COVID is worse than it has ever been right now worse than it has ever been and the flu is gone basically the flu has gone to almost no risk whatsoever. How? How is that? We have new flu strains every year. We have thousands, tens of thousands of Americans who die from flu every year. We've defeated the flu because we're fighting COVID. I, I, I guess that's what they're going to tell us. Uh, there There is more that needs explanation. There is more uh. There are more answers that we need than what we are currently being given. That is for sure. That is just what's going on here.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
5: I don't know how we get out of this nightmare, Lori, of a pandemic. If there are people and we don't know what percentage of this country are invested in the idea that they have a right to get sick, that they have a right to then go to the ICU and take up beds and that they have a right to make you sick and me sick and maybe kill us, that they have a right to do that. And they're willing to be violent to defend this so-called right. Am I too hopeless here? Because this to me looks like a nightmare we can't get out of.
1: Yeah, no, she's not very smart, but she has her own show at MSNBC. And that's Joy Reid, who lied about the hackers getting into her blog. Remember, we're never going to let that one drop. The FBI was investigating. Remember that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Notice the framing of this. A right to get sick, a right to get you sick. That's no one says that. That, That's not a thing. Of the millions of Americans who are currently infected with COVID-19, I I just want to know how many of them does she really think don't wear masks, don't social distance, don't care, think they have a right to get sick? I don't know, 5%, 1%? Any? No, the people who are getting sick are just normal people. They're getting sick. They're obeying these dumbass rules that keep changing every five seconds that don't do what they tell us they're going to do, and they keep getting sick. But you see, this is another way to the enemy here are those people that believe in freedom. The enemy here are people who believe that they have the right of basic autonomy and that they can live their lives as normal people. Understand that what she's telling you is that ninety nine percent of the people that are under these rules and regulations are healthy and pose no threat to anyone. But if you are healthy and pose no threat to anyone, you could theoretically be an asymptomatic carrier, which I'm just going to tell you this. I know they've talked about this, and oh, there's so much asymptomatic spread. I think it's exaggerated. I'm not saying it's non-existent, but I think it's exaggerated, but it was a great way to control us, wasn't it? Because you know what would be reasonable? You know what's a reasonable position during a pandemic? If you are sick, stay away from people, stay home until you're better, seek medical attention if you need it. The end. That's reasonable. That's reasonable. That that had been the way that we treated viruses and pandemics for, oh, I don't know, the last century or so. But now it's it doesn't matter if you're not sick. You don't have rights. You can't see family members. You can't worship at church. You can't go home and see your loved ones. And and the, the threat, the nightmare of the people that say, uh, hold on a second, based on what? Think of all the millions of people who have had covid and the almost zero chance they'll get it again. Why can't they have all their rights back? Why can't they just go about their lives and, you know, no, the totalitarian impulse of the libs is on full display with this stuff. We're going to control you. Do what we say or else everyone's going to die. If you know, we're doing what they say and it's not doing anything. And some people are noticing that. Some people recognize you still got to go to the store. There are still essential workers. There's still people who have to live their lives. People are still living with their families. We don't have a way to separate everybody from their families so no one can get sick in the same household. It doesn't exist. People are still getting nosocomial or hospital-born infection. It's still happening. Still happening. But a lot of people, she won't talk about invested in a narrative. The left, the lockdown left, is so invested in, in how we have known what the answer is here and been unwilling to do it when the truth is we've been doing what they say the answer is. And it's just clearly not the answer. That's what that's what's actually happening. And they'll never admit that people really don't like to they don't like to be thought of as dumb. They don't like to be thought of as as easily fooled or, or swindled. You know, think about the things that I've been telling you all along. Yes. n ninety five masks definitely help. These masks probably don't. And the way that we use the masks when they say that they don't, they don't help enough for all the hassle. these other cloth masks. they don't help enough for the hassle. That's not the same thing as saying it doesn't. yeah. if you can stop a droplet from flying out of someone's mouth and going into your eye, that probably does help prevent covid nineteen, right? But if we're talking about aerosolized virus in a in a you know indoor dining or an indoor situation in general, I, it's going to give you limited protection at best. and there is a very real argument that people. Are much more uh, susceptible in a lot of ways because they think the the mask gives them this great protection. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be around family and I, I won't open the windows and I'll be indoors with family even if one of us doesn't feel that well because we've all got masks on. Hmm. Maybe it'd be better to think of what what you would be willing to do if masks didn't exist at all. How much distance? How much fresh air? What kind of risks would you take? These are all these are all the the questions that we should be asking. When you ask too many of these and they start to throttle you on social media, you, you bring up too much of this and you get into trouble. They want to punish you. They want to tell you to mask up and continue to live your life in fear even after a vaccine is distributed. That's what they want. They want to tell you that. I, I'd rather not. I think that's pretty a pretty horrifying thought. Why would we have to do that? Well, because they say so. And because idiots like this over at MSNBC have a platform to tell people what to do. Play two.
8: Americans were shocked. They were fearful. But I think most importantly, they were listening. And they listened to President George W. Bush, who stood on the rubble, Gave the country some direction in the two weeks, two to three weeks that followed September 11th. That's the important thing. Gave us direction. And we listen. What direction have we ever had from this president and this White House about a killer amongst us? We have had no direction. We have had misdirection. We have had instructions not to wear a mask. A mask. He turned it into something political, a life saving device, a simple mask made it an element of politics. And people died as a result. That's amazing.
1: This guy, Mike Barnacle, is an idiot, An, an idiot, honestly. Fauci said don't wear masks, you moron. You blame him? He's a health expert. His whole life is meant to prevent this. His whole life is supposedly dedicated to saving us during a pandemic. He said at the beginning, don't wear masks. And now his explanation is because that we wouldn't have had enough for the health care providers. Yeah. But from what they tell us, people could have done DIY masks. So it wasn't about the healthcare providers. It should have been just put something around your face. That'll help you. But no, you don't need to do that. The science was so obvious around this that at the beginning, our chief infectious disease expert in the government was saying you don't need to do that. That's how obvious it was. That's how clear it is. Don't ask any questions. Be quiet. I swear, uh, you know, does anyone have a, the explanations that I get when I bring this up? People are so weak. Oh, we've learned so much since then. No, we haven't. We actually haven't. Thanks for listening
0: to the Buck, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call.
4: Roll Call,
3: everybody.
1: Thank you so much for sticking with us to this part of the show. Always appreciate it. Make sure you go to bucksexton.com, posting stories there. I got a weekly editorial that goes up. So, love to hear, uh, love to see your thoughts on that one. Please do check it out. And yeah, that's that's a good, uh, good thing, my friends. Also, as you know, we are getting out Buck First Thoughts earlier and earlier today for podcasting. And uh, we want you to share those around. So, we want those podcast numbers to go up, up, up. So please do tell people about the Buck Sexton Show. I'm sh- I'm sharing it while I'm still allowed to on all my different social media accounts, doing everything that I can. And so yeah, there you go. BuckSexton.com. That's that's how we do it. Uh, you can also listen to the podcast there. We put it there. So good things, good things all around. Producer Mark, you realize it's Thursday?
9: I know. It feels like this week has gone slow. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, man. I'm so excited. The weekend's going to be here soon. What's the producer, Mark, weekend plan? Anything Anything cool going on?
9: Uh, I think I have to go to uh, the in-laws' house, uh, to Long Island, and celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah oh, yeah. starts tonight.
1: The Festival so, of Lights. Yes. What is the story of Hanukkah again?
9: Uh, to very much sum it up, uh, they only had enough oil to last for one night. It lasted for eight uh, in this, uh, I guess, what is a menorah now, but... It wasn't a menorah back then, uh, but they only had enough uh, heat. It was heat, oil, and uh, for light. It was for heat and light. It was supposed to only last a day. It lasted eight days. They called it the miracle of lights. So that's why we fry things in oil, hence the latkes, the uh, jelly donuts, stuff like that. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to make a latke right now. Uh, They're amazing. They're very hard to do from scratch.
1: I have done it from scratch, you, but it's, it's, it's labor-intensive, I will say that.
9: Yeah, because you, you have to shred all the potatoes.
1: Yeah, hmm. that's true. You know what I had to do this morning? I actually put this on Instagram. The dog wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat her normal food, so I had to cook her fresh grilled chicken. And wow. that's what I had to do this morning to get her to actually eat her food. I think she's a little, I think she's a little bit spoiled, but I, I was thinking about making her a, um, a sweet potato pancake because dogs actually like sweet potato.
9: Oh, sweet potatoes are amazing. I put one in the air fryer the other day; amazing. Ooh.
1: That'd be a great one. I haven't been cooking as much red meat lately. I got to get back to cooking more red meat, but take some time, you know. And and and, and I, I get disappointed in myself if I don't really do it the exactly the right way. You know, another thing. I, I started watching Survivor. I've never watched Survivor before. Have you ever seen the show? Of course.
9: I'm not a big Survivor guy, but I understand the appeal.
1: It, it's on Netflix. They have a recent season really? of it. I mean, I, I've, I've watched one episode, but. This this show apparently is quite a phenomenon. I miss, I don't watch any of these, uh, like, what do they go, the broadcast channels, ABC, CBS, NBC. And I, I forget that there are these shows that, like, 10, 10 million Americans will watch.
9: Yes. A lot of reality shows like that, too.
1: Yeah, huge. Huh? Like, The Voice is apparently a really big show. I've never seen, have you
9: seen The Voice? I've yeah, never seen The, the Voice. The Voice is actually one of the better ones. I like it. I
1: don't yeah, watch it. Yeah, but it's it. one well, of the just... really, really popular ones.
9: Yeah, I I remember my wife likes them. I watched.
1: Yeah, well, if Mrs. Mark is happy, that's that's always a good thing. I watched the original American Idol way back in the day. And I still remember Kelly Clarkson and Justin Guarini were the two. And the whole thing was it was like this new, exciting game show thing and building careers and stars and everything else. That show was a total phenomenon, and, and it went on for many many years. And then I feel like it got kind of watered down after a while.
9: Yeah, I think Kelly Clarkson's probably the biggest name to come out of any American Idol, The Voice, or anything like that, right?
1: I think so. Yeah. Well, uh, though, uh, although Carrie Underwood, pretty. Big oh yeah,
9: play. I forget that she's from American she's, Idol as well. Yeah, the two big, of them.
1: She's big too, with the and with the whole sort of Nashville and country thing. And I think she's probably my favorite. All in, I think I'm. I, I think I'm Team Carrie if I got to pick one. Yeah. yeah, so and she's so married guy, to the Ruben Stoddard. Never, never really, uh, never really got big. I was kind of a shame. I was, I was rooting for Ruben too. Yeah.
9: Clay Aiken got big at one point. I mean, he does really a uh,
1: Clay Aiken does a podcast now. He's a podcaster. A Everyone does one. a
9: podcast, Buck.
1: Everyone does a podcast. Clay Aiken's got one though, uh, and he's you know he's doing his thing.
9: Somehow, I, I, I don't forget. think he agrees with you.
2: Um, I think
1: he's uh, like sort of moderate maybe I don't I mean maybe a moderate Democrat or something I, I don't know I don't think he, he's not like super left-wing I know that I'm pretty sure he's not super but no he, who, who agrees with me come on um yeah I don't think I think he's uh I think he's super left-wing so yeah that's where we are um and then or he's not sorry he's not super left-wing so yeah anyway I don't know how we got on a reality tv show talk but this is what I'm trying to tell people and I, I will tell you I've can I nerd out for a second here? I got to nerd out for of a course. second. Of course. So I had been, I had been, I had limited my, uh, my PlayStation experience, and I know I'm 38, soon to be 39. My birthday's December 28th, y'all. Soon to be 29 on the 28th. Uh, I, I limited 39. my.
9: You're not 29.
1: Oh, God. 39. 39. 29 sounded so much better. I'm going to be 39 on the 28th. Ow. Getting close to 40. And I had done. There are two things that I like to do on, on the PlayStation: Call of Duty, which is is just a it's just amazing, and uh, this other game, uh, the the soccer FIFA game, which I, I like like. I like to play against people from all over the world and you know kick their butt. And I tried this game called Ghost of Tsushima. Have you heard of this? I haven't. It's a samurai like ninja game. It's it's amazing. I just don't understand how do they do this, Bruce Bark. How do they make these games so ornate? The graphics are so incredible. The storylines are so intricate, and there's just so much going on. Like they must they, they, there's a whole world you can run around in. They create all these landscapes and everything else. Is, is there someone there who's designing all the little trees and the rivers and the yeah.
9: It takes it's, years of production to do all this stuff. It's incredible what they. Remember when video games first came out, especially when you were a kid. When I was a of kid, of course. I mean, it's so, amazing. So video games come.
1: started in my youth, really. You know, like when I was when I was growing up, was when you had Pac Man, and I remember playing Pac Man as a kid. You had Pac Man, and then you know, Donkey Kong, and then you had, you know, uh, what's the 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 duck Duck Hunt. You know, and then, then you got to like the Street Fighter and the Nintendo era and all this stuff. And then Mortal Kombat. And then, you know, you just go through this whole history of video games. Our generation, my generation was the first one to really have video games, especially at home video games. And the the Ghost of Tsushima, which I think is honestly, it's super fun and addictive. It's it's like a whole alternate universe has been created. And I just, I'm just amazed, forget if you guys think video games are you know nerdy, you don't like them, whatever, that's fine. I I had given up video games the last 10 years, but during the pandemic, i have just like, I just need to turn my brain off. I can't see people, I can't socialize, so it's a good way to do it. And just the the technological marvel, it's unbelievable what they can do, is all I'm trying to say. It's
9: just crazy. I'm sure you've never played uh, the newest Grand Theft Auto. I know a lot of our listeners are probably very anti that game, but I have played once or twice. It's fun. Uh, but they have an entire world that looks completely lifelike that you can go around and I mean I, I know, you know the concept of the game right yeah i 've played it back in the yeah. day yeah, but like, like the newest like. one and it 's still ten years old. And I can only imagine what the the, the next uh, game will be like whenever it comes out. no one ever knows, but it 's just incredible how lifelike and realistic these games have become and I play sports games it's like you 're actually there
1: yeah and I, i've also learned i've also learned that there are there are professional game tournaments like people play call of duty oh, yeah. and they could there's money like real like real money like 50 grand for the guy who wins kind of a thing the
9: sports leagues are big into this now like especially the nba like the knicks have their own nba 2k team really? their own e-gaming team yeah
1: yeah this That's is a crazy. whole new th- and I, I feel like given the the lack of you know actually seeing human beings in person this gaming thing is probably I, I would guess that the games have had a great I should check. I haven't looked at the stocks or anything for them, but, you know, electronic arts and these things. But I'm just I'm just blown away and I'm not some guy that has no familiarity with video games. I used to play a lot of N64 back in the day. And uh, but what they're able to do now, I mean, it's basically cinematic quality that you're interacting in a in these video games. It's, It's like a movie that you're actually taking part in in some way. It's amazing. So, and those of you who like video games, whoever listening, and I know we gotta get past this because some of you have don't care about this at all. This is a politics show, not a video game review show. But this Ghost of Tsushima game is incredible. It's like absolutely incredible. All right, enough nerding out from the Buckster. Now let's get to your thoughts.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: Our roll call for today, kicked off by Chris. Hey, Buck, love the show today. Two points. Number one, the Sandlot has to be in the running for best baseball movie of all time. You're one year older than I am, so that has to hit close to home. Two, do you believe the Texas lawsuit to be a precursor to uh, secession? Is that potentially their intent and meant to inspire others, uh, other states of like mind? All the best. Thank you for speaking the truth. Loud and proud always. Well, Chris, let's first let's first dive into the critical issue here of the best baseball movie and whether it is, in fact, the Sandlot. As long as we don't say a league of their own, I'm going to be happy. Um, The Sandlot is a is a very enjoyable movie. Producer Mark, would you
9: say it is it should be considered in the running for yeah, probably in the running. I think of The Sandlot in like a kid's movie type. You know what I mean? You still love it as an adult, but you really loved it when you were a kid.
1: I just remember the the kind of uh, portly, red-haired kid doing the cannonball more than anything oh, yeah. else.
9: Oh, it's a classic. I love The Sandlot.
1: Yeah. And doesn't he get the uh, the like the, the pretty, um, uh, you know, what do you call it, lifeguard to do mouth-to-mouth with him or something? Or is that a different movie?
9: It sounds familiar. I'm not sure if it's Sam I feel like that now.
1: happened in Salem. It yeah. might have been a different movie, but same. same. I know movie. the dog anyway. was a big theme there. Oh, the dog, the big scary looking dog, which I think was a St. Bernard, right? Is it a St. Yeah, Bernard? Yeah, I think so. Something like
9: that. And yeah. they're adorable dogs.
1: They're cute dogs. Um, and then as for number two, Chris, do you believe the Texas lawsuit to be a precursor to secession? Um, no, I do not. Uh, and I, I know people are talking about secession now and everything else. Look. There's a lot of anger out there right now. A lot of sense of of we've been defrauded. And if you've ever actually been the victim of any kind of a fraud, you have just this feeling of there's, you know, this you just feel like you're violated in some way. You know, I remember when you're thinking, well, Buck, what are you talking about? When I got double charged over the summer by a it was a Hertz rental car company, they completely screwed me. They were. It was dishonest. They knew it, and their their attitude was because it was owned by independently owned as a franchisee, so it wasn't actually. Hertz corporate wouldn't step in and help me. American Express, to its credit, got the job done. They're like, you're right. You've got the paperwork to prove it. They're just they're just charging. it. charged me twelve hundred dollars. It wasn't like a little thing. Charging twelve hundred dollars extra, but you had that feeling of you've just been violated. You know. And in an election like and I know that's just a minor thing. It's a money, whatever. Right. You know, life goes on. But I'm saying that sense of of being violated in that way, you know, in that way about an election. You know, it, this, you have this this in your gut. It feels feels like you've been wronged. It feels like there's oh, it brings out this rage. But I don't know. I don't think we're going to secede. I don't think that's going to happen. And I, and I don't think that should happen. We hold the line. We win in Georgia. We fight this thing out with Trump all the way. See what we can do. And and we win the next election. That's what we do. That's the way we approach this. People are saying, oh, Buck, that's naive. Uh, secession that that would get very ugly, very fast. And what, what, how, how would that even go? You know what would the fed? How would that happen? What would the federal government's response be? How would you divvy up federal assets? Oh man! But yeah, if Texas broke off and became its own independent conservative, uh, you know, republic, uh, would I? Would I seriously consider <laughs> moving there? I'm considering moving there right now. So I think that <laughs> that answers the question. TJ Buck, could you dig deeper into why the GOP not putting up a bigger fight for speaker for the next Congress? I think there's a legitimate path to dethrone Chardonnay Nancy, but Republicans need to have the cojones to pursue it. Likely it would mean they'd have to make a concession to not nominate a Republican as their candidate, but the prospect of getting rid of Nancy is far too sweet to not do it. Also, could you make the case for Mitt Romney to join Biden's cabinet? I think it would be an absolute godsend, but I'd like to hear your take on it. P.S. The wife and I had another baby girl going to be raising a bunch of buck babies in our household like Rush babies from the 90s. Well, TJ, that's awesome, and thank you, and that's uh, you do me a great honor by even telling me about your kids and buck babies. That sounds phenomenal. So thank you for that. As for uh, trying to dethrone Chardonnay Nancy, well, if we're going to have a Democrat anyway, you got to ask yourself, who's going to be better? Who do you want more than Nancy that the Democrats would go for? Mm, you know, you start to think about this. Really? Who? Um, and as for... Mitt Romney joining Biden's cabinet. I don't, I don't really see why there's an advantage to that. What do you you want? You want a rhino to get near? First of all, that's never going to happen because they have plenty of Democrats they want to take that job. So, uh, TJ, I'm not really seeing why Romney in a Biden cabinet would really help, but or, or be good in any way, but let me know. Craig writes, Space Lord Super Ninja Buck. That is my preferred title. I'm living free in South Dakota, and I'm constantly passing the buck. And you got Christy Nome there, too, so you're a lucky man. I have two quick points. First, regarding the mask debacle, there was and still is an easy solution to the mask-not-mask mask problem. Through the Defense Production Act, the government should have made enough N95 respirators for all who want one. Thus, everyone would have their own choice to protect themselves as needed. The argument of, of I protect you, you protect me, becomes moot. Uh, a clear example of how our right to liberty could make our lives simpler but then the leftists lose their control, which they cannot allow. Second, since you've been talking about your Call of Duty skills, here you go, I think you should tell the Freedom Hut your gamer tag. That way, if we run across you in a friendly match, we can judge your tactical skill for ourselves. I've been watching for the Swoop gamer tag in Modern Warfare, but haven't seen it. Shields high. Craig, I don't even know what it is. I got to go check, (laughs) but I think it's, you know, Super Patriot 2529er. Uh, but, yeah, I'll tell you guys my Call of Duty tech. Maybe we could have, like, a Team Buck Call of Duty tournament. That'd be fun. Jesse Kelly plays Call of Duty. Uh, my, my colleague and buddy Jesse Kelly. So we we could get him on, on the end. Uh, Producer Mark, would you join in some Call of
9: Duty? Sure. Everyone would kill me immediately, but
1: I'd, I'd join in. There we go. I, I kind of like this idea. If there's a way that I can get the team together, we could do a big Call of Duty thing. That would be a lot of fun. It would be a way for us all to kind of virtually hang out. Please do pass the buck, everybody. Tell them about the show. Until next time, Shields High.